The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Jacob was the first face I saw today when I walked in, and I just love seeing that bubbly face of his. You can't help but smile as soon as you, uh, as soon as you see him, so that's great. And uh, just very excited to be here tonight. I want to talk about a subject that uh, we sometimes talk about, we don't talk about, but it's something that we all have, and it's something that we all walk through, and that's uh, suffering. And so just think through, you're in, a, uh, you're in a room, and you see a man walk in. And the man walks in, and he looks tired. You can see it in his eyes. There's this weariness that's there to the bone. How long has he been suffering? If you asked him, he would probably say, I don't remember. As long as I can remember, I've been suffering. There's a girl who hesitantly walks into the room and she looks nervous. She looks afraid. Anytime anyone looks at her, she quickly looks away. She's not really good at social situations. Crowds always seem to make her nervous. She just wants to go home. She just wants to be alone. The young man hobbles in on crutches. The accident has taken its toll on him. His child is still in the ICU, and you can see the worry that's written on his face. What will the next days bring for him? What will the next hours bring for him? The woman is a new Christian. She is so excited about it. She's telling everyone about it, but now she's continually being rebuffed by everyone she knows, and her family is now starting to treat her different. And her friends are treating her different. And those people at work seem to want to avoid her now. See, suffering shows up in many different ways. It shows up at different times and it stays for different lengths. Some of the suffering that we have is physical. Some of it's emotional. Some of it's relational. Some of the suffering that we experience is spiritual. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at suffering and the comfort of God, and how these two things work together, suffering and the comfort of God. So we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians uh, 1, verses 3 to 11, and we want to see what this looks like. You know, the Apostle Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, he wrote also another one called Thessalonians, and when he was writing to the Thessalonians, he's talking about those people who have passed on, those people who have died before him, and he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about the Christian, about, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. He says, I don't want you to grieve like those people who have no hope. And so it is with suffering as well. I don't want you to be uninformed about suffering so that you suffer like those who have no hope. Because suffering and God's comfort go together. And they are meant to walk hand in hand. We are never meant to suffer without the comfort of God. So let's look at our passage This is found in 2 Corinthians, it's chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 3 to 11. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure 
the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our suffering, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And you also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. I just want to take a minute and just pray. Father God, we come before you now and we pray that you will uh, help us to see the comfort that you give us. Help us to see that, that our suffering and your comfort should always go together, that they walk hand in hand. And let us just experience that. Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll be with us today, that you will uh, uh, under, help us to understand this in our minds and in our hearts, and in our souls, that we might take this, and that we might take great comfort in you. So be with us this morning, this afternoon, we pray. Amen. So the Apostle Paul was someone who suffered a lot. The Apostle Paul suffered physically. He had a, uh, an eye condition from something that had happened. Um, he suffered at the hands of people. He was beaten. He was stoned. Um, he suffered from just being overwhelmed with all of the burdens that he carried and that he carried for all of these churches. So Paul was one of the greatest Christians, really, that there was. And when we look at the Bible, he wrote like a third or a half of the New Testament. It was his letters, all these letters were written by him. So he's a Christian that we can look up to. He's someone that we see as this is a, a model of what we can be like. And this is what he says. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. This is the Apostle Paul who says this. We despaired of life itself because of how much we was burdened. What does that sound like to you? Does that sound like a Christian response? Does that sound like someone spiritual? What have you expected more from the Apostle Paul than for him to say that? See, the fact is, is that suffering is common. Suffering is not unchristian. It's not the sign of a, of a weak faith or the sign of uh, you know, someone who's a failure. It is Christian to suffer. It's what God has said to do. And the fact is, suffering hurts. It doesn't matter whether suffering is physical, financial, emotional, relational, spiritual, suffering just plain hurts. And sometimes we can say with Paul, we're overwhelmed, we're burdened, we're despairing of everything that goes on. What Paul is trying to teach us is how we deal with that and how the comfort of God works in that. And so what we want to do when we walk this out is we want to look at two things right away. We want to look at attitudes that we have in suffering and we want to look at the places that we go to comfort ourselves when we're suffering. So first of all, attitude. What is your attitude like when things are difficult? What is your attitude like when you are suffering? Because our attitude can be outward or it can be inward. 
when it's outward, what happens is we look, we get this anger inside of us maybe, we complain, we become bitter, we blame others. It's all this external things. We suffer internal, so we react externally to everyone who's around us and every situation just comes in internally and it just goes out. And lots of times we can find comfort in that anger. In the Old Testament, there's a story about two brothers. One's named Jacob and one's named Esau. And what happens is, Esau acts foolishly, and his brother Jacob tricks him out of his inheritance. And so Esau now hates his brother Jacob because of what he did. And he plans on killing his brother because of what he did. But their dad is sick, and he's on his deathbed, and he's about to die. So he knows that he has to wait until after this happens. So he says to himself, he says, The days of my mourning for my father are approaching, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Well, his mom finds out about this, and his mom talks to Jacob. And listen to what his mom says. His mom says, Your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Your brother comforts himself. He comforts himself by planning to kill you. He comforts himself as an anger. He comforts himself in this, in this bitterness, in this outward um, way in what he's going to do. But it's not always outward. Sometimes this uh, reaction that we have and this attitude that we have is inward. So sometimes we become depressed. We become overwhelmed. We have this woe is me attitude. And this suffering makes us look inside. And this suffering becomes all we see. It becomes all we talk about. Our whole world ends up revolving around this suffering that we are going through. And it becomes these glasses that we see through. And we feel like we are the only one. In the Old Testament, again, there's a guy named Elijah. He's one of the prophets. And Elijah's on the run. There's King Ahab and Jezebel. They're trying to kill him. And he flees into the wilderness. And Elijah is talking to God. He says, they have killed your prophets with a sword. He says, and I'm the only one left. And they're trying to take my life. And God says, no. He said, I have 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed down to Baal. Our suffering makes us look at ourselves. We say, I am the only one. And God says, no, look around you. There are 7,000 others around you. But we only see ourselves. And sometimes we can comfort ourselves in that way with this self-pity and this always trying to get sympathy from other people. Now, don't get me wrong. We are to comfort each other. And we are to talk to people about what we're going through. But this is when you take it to kind of like the extreme, right? And I'm sure that we all know someone like that whose entire world revolves around themselves. And they're the only one who's going through anything at all. And they never look outward. They never look out to help other people or to encourage other people with the comfort with which God has comforted them. It's all this internal thing. So as we look at the Apostle Paul, we want to see, well, what was Paul's attitude like? Was it outward? Was it inward? What was it like? And we see in verse 3, he says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies. The God of all comfort. See, Paul doesn't look outward in anger. And he doesn't look inward in self-pity. But he looks upward to God. And he says, blessed be God. He praises God because he knows it is from God that this comfort will come from. In chapter 4, verses 8 through 18, we can read this. 
it's another time when Paul is describing what he's going through. And he says this. He says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to spare. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul looks up to God. Why? It's not because he doesn't feel what he's going through, right? Because he just got done saying we're so utterly burdened beyond ourselves that we despaired of life. Here he says we're afflicted, we're perplexed, we're persecuted, we're struck down. These are not the words of someone who is not suffering. They're the words of someone who is acutely feeling the pain of suffering. But he knows the comfort of God. And he says God comforts us in all of our affliction. When we are utterly burdened, Beyond our strength, he comforts us. When we despair of life, he comforts us. When we are afflicted and perplexed and persecuted and struck down, God comforts us then and there, right where we are. So what is your attitude like? Is it outward in anger? Is it inward in self-pity? Or is it upward towards God, looking for God's comfort when you go through these times of suffering? So that's our attitudes and what our attitudes are like. Next question is, where do we go for comfort? What are the things that you go to comfort? When you're going through suffering, where do you naturally go? What is it the place that you naturally go? Is it TV or video games? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? Is it work? Is it sports? Is it uh, just needing to be with other people? What are some of these things that we go to? And even just that list that I just gave you, you can see some of these things are, are bad inherently and some of these things are good inherently, right? We're called to be with each other. But we can kind of go to the extreme, right? But even looking at things that are good, right? On a dark and stormy night, when you're all alone, a dog can be very comforting, right? And it doesn't have to be big, right? A toy poodle, that's all you need. A toy, po- toy poodle. Trust me, we've had one. So it's, that's really all you need if it's that dark storm. We just like the comfort of just someone or something being there. And that's a, these are good things that God, has, that God has given us. There's a country singer. Her name is uh, Miranda Lambert. And she sings this song that's called The House That Built Me. And it's this story of someone who feels lost in the world. And so she goes back to her childhood home. The childhood home is sold. Someone else already lives there. And so she walks up to the woman who lives there and she says, I just want to look around. And listen to some of the words that she says. She says, ma'am, I know you don't know me from Adam. But these handprints on the front steps are mine. Up those stairs in that little back bedroom is where I did my homework, and I learned to play guitar. And I bet you didn't know, under that live oak, my favorite dog is buried in the yard. You leave home, you move on, you do the best you can. I got lost in this old world, and I forgot who I am. And I thought if I could just touch this place or feel it, this brokenness inside of me might start healing.
out there, it's like I'm someone else. And I thought maybe, maybe if I could find myself. If I could walk around, I swear I'll leave. Won't take nothing but a memory from the house that built me. The girl in this story feels lost and broken. And she's reaching out for comfort. If she can just go back to that house that she grew up in. If she can just feel it one more time. She thinks that she'll be alright. To see her old room. To put her grown-up hands in those childhood handprints on the front step. To just stand beneath that oak tree once more. To feel the bark. To hear the wind rustling through its leaves. She wants comfort. Her life is hard. She has struggled. She has suffered. And you know what? It is true that there is comfort there. It is true. I go back to my parents' home every year. They still live in the house that I grew up in. I still go to that bedroom I had in a child, as a child. That's where I sleep every time I ever go there. There's still trees that I'm able to climb. <laughs> At least the lower branches anyway. <laughs> Mickey saw me there. It's like, what are you doing? Get out of the tree. <laughs> but I do like to do that. There's, there's one that's got this little, like, it was like an old cement well. And you can climb up on that. And the branches literally go like that before they go up. So probably not more than six feet off. But it's like that childhood and you go back there. And I, f I feel comfort there. And it's great, and I love it. I really, really love it. And it's a gift from God that he gives to us, that he gives to me. But you know what? That comfort doesn't last. It's not deep enough. It's not strong enough. It's not long enough. But the comfort that God gives us is so much more than just that fleeting comfort that we get from these things. Because he gives us true, solid comfort. He gives us hope. He gives us faith. He gives us life. He gives us a way to help other people in their suffering. And he gives us reasons that we go through suffering. And so what I want to do is just look at some of these reasons. The suffering is, is spoken throughout Scripture. And you can find it in a different place. You can find it in John chapter, or James chapter 1. You can see it in Romans chapter 5. But in this passage from 2 uh, Corinthians, Paul gives us three different ways, three different reasons for suffering. And these categories are ourselves, others, and God, and how we relate to that. So first of all, ourselves. Verse 9 tells us that one of the reasons that we, uh, suffering comes into our lives is so that we learn to rely on God and not on ourselves. Paul says in verse 9, he said, we felt that we received the sentence of death, but this was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, our tendency is to rely on ourselves, to rely on our own resources. But during suffering, we lose that. We become utterly burdened beyond our strength. It's like we're on this ladder and someone suddenly kicks it out from underneath us and we feel like we're falling in slow motion and we're reaching and we're grabbing, but there's just nothing to grab onto. And we know that we're gonna hit that ground any second now, or any millisecond now. And so during suffering, we can't rely on ourselves, right? And we feel our weakness, and we feel our pain, and we feel our pride draining down the sink. And it is here that Paul says, we rely on God who raises the dead. Did you catch that? Paul says he was despairing of life itself, but he relies on God who raises the dead. 
He relies on God who raises the dead. And it is God himself, it is God himself that comforts Paul. It is God the Father of mercy, the God of all comforts. Paul says we ourselves are comforted by God. Now for us to really understand suffering, or for us to understand the best probably, it's against, I mean, for us to understand God's comfort the best, we see it under this backdrop of suffering. And we appreciate it the most when it comes during these times of suffering, right? And so our suffering and our joy, or our suffering and our comfort are always joined together. Suffering and comfort are always joined together. Verse 9 says, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And just think about that. When do you feel the comfort of that toy poodle the most? Is it in the middle of the day when you're in a hurry and it's underneath your foot and you trip? Or is it during that dark night when you're alone and now the power goes out on top of it? When do you wish for God's comfort the most? When all is going well? Or when things are going bad and it feels like your world is falling apart. Another thing it does is suffering us teaches us not only to rely on God, but also to set our hope on God. Paul says he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. And on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul looks back and he sees where God has delivered him. And he puts his hope there. Because he says, God will deliver us again. We have seen God deliver us. We have seen his comfort. And he will rescue us. And he will bring us this comfort again. And so Paul's faith is built up. And his hope is built up. And his endurance to go through suffering is built up. Because listen again what he says to chapter, in chapter 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Beyond all comparison, I mean. See, Paul understands that this affliction prepares us for eternal glory. And he puts his hope in God who raises the dead. Now, Paul says it's not just us that... We experience suffering and comfort for. But it's also for others that we go through suffering and that we go through comforting. comforting. Paul says in verse 4 um, that God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. See, suffering is universal. Pain is pain. Fear is fear. Again, the circumstances might be different, right? There might be types of suffering that's different. The intensity might be different, right? The length might be different. But there's this commonness to suffering that is the same. And at the core, there's these things that suffering is suffering, whatever your suffering is going through, right? So think about it like this. You walk into a gym, and it's one of these gyms that are like all full of bodybuilders, right? Everyone in there is like buff and strong and, you know, this. And you walk in and you see this bodybuilder there, right? So there's a bodybuilder and he's bench pressing 350 pounds. And he's got his guy behind him who's spotting him. And he does rep after rep after rep after rep. His last rep, he can barely get up. His spotter has to keep the bar from crashing down 
on top of him. He finally finishes, right? And he's exhausted. His muscles are like twitching. He can barely raise his hand to wipe the sweat off of his forehead. And the door opens. And in walks a skinny, pale little guy with glasses as thick as a book. And he walks in and he sits down on the weight bench. And this equally skinny little guy walks in, his buddy who's going to spot him. So they take 100 pounds and it's too much, he can't lift it. He goes down to 85, he tries to lift it, it's still too much weight, he can't lift it. So finally he gets 65 pounds and he starts to bench press it. And he does rep after rep after rep. And finally, on his last rep, his buddy is going over here, just holding onto the bar so it doesn't come crashing down on top of him. And when he's done, he's exhausted. His muscles are twitching. He can barely raise his hand to wipe the sweat off of his brow. Who worked harder? Who gave more? Who suffered more? See, there's, there's this universalness to suffering. It is different in type and intensity, but there's a universalness about it. And God says that we can comfort those who comfort us. And it gives us this compassion for other people that we wouldn't have had, right? So the big bodybuilder, when he sees a skinny, pale guy with a thick glasses walk in, probably would have started laughing at him. But after he sees what he does and he works this exhaustion, there's this connection and this compassion because he was there once himself. He started out as a skinny little guy who could now lift 350 pounds. And that's what it does with his suffering. And this is what God has designed it to do. And God is telling you, I comfort you so that you can comfort others. So that you can help those who are suffering. I comforted you, you comfort those. One quick warning, right? Because, because there is this universalness to suffering. And we understand suffering. Just one quick warning, just when you put this into practice. Don't ever say to someone, oh, I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly what you're going through because of this, right? We don't know exactly what people are going through. Everyone has a unique situation. Everyone has unique lives. Everyone has unique backgrounds and histories and things that have gone on before. So we don't know exactly what we're going on. But there is that core that it's suffering. And that's the piece that we understand. And that's the piece, right? Because we can relate to pain. And we can relate to fear. And we can relate to being overwhelmed. And we can relate to just wanting to give up and to just escape and to just go to bed and have it all go away. We can relate to those things. So God says, comfort those who are in, who are suffering with the same comfort with which I comforted you. You don't need to say all the right things. You don't need to do all of the right things. I heard once, this was years ago on Christian radio, and so maybe you've heard, heard this story. I don't remember all the details. I remember the essence of it. But what it was was there was two sisters, and they were both married. And the two sisters both had, had uh, babies. And in that same year, both of the babies ended up dying from uh, sudden the SID thing right there. And so they were interviewing these women afterwards. And because it was such a unique situation. And the interviewer said, what was the one thing that helped the most? When people came and they tried to help you during your suffering, what was it that they said? What was it that they, you know, they, that they told you? And they said, you know what? It wasn't anyone. It wasn't someone who had said something. 
It wasn't someone who tried to comfort me with God's love or, or Romans, you know, eight or anything like that. They said, you know, the people who helped the most, the absolute most were the ones who came and just sat, who did nothing but just be there, who didn't say anything, who didn't try to make sense out of it, who didn't try to reason and say, this is why you're going through, but they were just simply there. They were just simply with me. And they were saying that is what helped the most. So you don't need to say the right things. You don't need to have the right words. You need to comfort them with the comfort that God has comforted you. You don't have to explain things. You need to comfort them. And this is what he's saying. It's the comfort that I gave you when you were suffering that you give others when they are suffering. Right? What does that toy poodle do during the dark night? In the middle of the storm, what does it do? It just sits in your lap. Right? It doesn't try to tell you what's right. It doesn't try to reason with you. If it did, you'd probably have bigger problems than, <laughs> than just the toy poodle. But all the poodle does is he's with you and he comforts you, right? And so God gives us all the ability to do, the, to do this. And, you know, another thing is, as you suffer, reach out to other people. Because we've already seen suffering makes us withdraw. Suffering brings us inside. Suffering alienates us from other people. And God is saying, don't. God wants you to draw near other people when you are suffering. In this passage, there's nine verses that we read. Sixteen times, sixteen times Paul says we. Twelve times he says our. Nine times is you. he says you. Nowhere in this whole passage does he say I or me. He says we are afflicted. And we are comforted. You share in our sufferings. You share in our comfort. See, the enemy wants you to be alone. The enemy wants you to go it alone, right? He wants you to hide in your pain. He wants you to be embarrassed about what it is that you are going through. But God doesn't. God wants you to let other people know what's going on. Paul says this. We do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Does that sound like someone who's trying to hide what they're going through? Does that sound like someone who's embarrassed because of the suffering? Who, who wants to pretend like everything is fine? Who wants to pretend that they're a good Christian? Who wants to pretend that nothing touches them at all? No, he says, I don't want you to be unaware. I want you to know what we were going through. We were utterly burdened. Paul is someone who understands the fellowship of suffering and he understands the fellowship of comfort. So reach out to those who are around you when you're going through this suffering. Ask him to be with you. Ask him to pray. And on the flip side of that, reach out to other people. Look and try to see who needs your comfort. Who is it that you can reach out to them as well? The third thing that we see, so that's uh, ourselves, others, and God. And just very, very briefly, suffering and God's comfort are always meant to go together. These two things are always meant to go together. And when they do, it causes us to praise God. Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Suffering, this comfort leads us to thank God. He says in verse 11, you must help us prepare so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted to us through the prayers of many. So we have another question to ask and to answer. 
And that's this. <coughs> if suffering causes our faith to grow, causes our hope in God to grow, causes our fellowship with others to grow, causes our worship with God to grow, is that automatically? Or is that automatic? Will that happen every time that we go through suffering, that these things will, will automatically happen? And the answer is no. So the next question is why? Why is it sometimes we go through suffering and we don't feel the comfort of God? Few reasons. Number one, we don't wait patiently. Verse six, and listen to this, says this, if we are afflicted is for your comfort and salvation, if we are comfort is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Did you catch that? When you experience, which you experience when you patiently endure. Why? Why do we have to wait patiently? It doesn't seem to make sense, right, for us to have to wait patiently during suffering. But you have to say to yourself, what happens if I don't wait patiently? And if we don't wait patiently, that's when we start to get those comforts, right? Because we want things fixed now. We want to be pain-free now. We want to be fear-free now. We want to be unburdened now. And so we rush to those comforts in order to get rid of the problem. We don't endure patiently, but we impatiently run to anything at all. And that's when we find comfort in those things, whether those whether they're the negative things like alcohol or drugs or escapism or, you know, video games for, you know, five, six, seven, eight hours a day or, or whatever it becomes, we don't wait patiently. We run to comfort ourselves. And he's saying, you're going to experience God's comfort when you wait patiently, when you patiently endure. Another reason, he says, is that we rely on ourselves. It's another reason why we don't experience this, right? I don't know why it's so hard to wait on ourselves, or to, I'm sorry, rely on ourselves. I think I said wait, but what he, Paul says that, you know, I went through all this suffering so that I would learn to rely not on myself, but to rely on God. And so one of the reasons is that we don't rely on God, but we only rely on ourselves. I don't know why it's so hard to do that. But even in, in Psalm 52, David was reading for us, it, this just line just popped out. He says this, he says, See the man who would not make God his refuge, refuge but trusted in the abundance of his refuge. <laughs> Let me start again. I'm sure why I can't read this. So, see the man who would not make God his refuge, but he trusted in the abundance of his, ref of his riches, and he sought refuge in his own destruction. See, he relied on himself. He relied on his riches. He relied on himself, and it was to his detriment. This whole thing was, uh, was talking about what, what this man did, this boastful man, versus uh, what the other person does. And again, he's relying on himself. So, next, another reason is that we rely on other people. Once again, it's like, so you will learn to rely on God, but we rely on ourselves. We rely on other people, right? In the Old Testament, God gives this law. It always, sounds, uh, it always sounded funny at first, but he says to the king, when he writes out this law, you must not get many horses for yourself. And he says, you must not make the people return to Egypt to get more horses. And I was like, 
why, what's the deal with horses? <laughs> it's like, everyone likes to ride horses, right? Don't they? Or at least they like the idea of riding, riding horses. But horses back then were like, it was like a war machine. It would have been like a tank. You would take the horse into battle. You would have these chariots. You'd have all these, you know, these horseback things. And he's like, don't go down to Egypt. Don't get the horses. Don't make the people go down to Egypt. I brought you out of Egypt. I don't want you going back in to do that. And so Isaiah 31, let's read this real quick. He says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. The Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. If we rely on others and not rely on God, we will not experience his comfort. Again, we have to think this through. It doesn't mean that we don't ask for people's help, right? It doesn't mean that we don't have a fellowship. It doesn't mean that we're not supposed as people help each other because those instructions are clear that if we, if we see someone in need that we're to help them and uh, it later on is condemned if we don't help the people. But they're talking about not relying on God but relying on these things, right? And he says, look, they rely on these things, but they never look to the Holy One of Israel. They never consult the Lord, but they only go down for the Egyptian horses. So it's not promised automatically that you get these benefits if you buffet against God. If you are impatient and you seek to comfort yourself in other ways, if you rely on yourself and not on God... But there's another more subtle reason than what these are that we don't experience this comfort of God is because we make it our goal to eliminate all suffering. And we are not satisfied until all the suffering is God, God, until we are completely carefree and suffer free. And we make that our goal. But God never intends for us to live a life that's free of suffering. What he plans is that when we suffer, we will go to him and we'll get that comfort from him, from himself. If you get nothing else today, I just want you to get that one thing. Suffering and God's comfort go together. Suffering and God's comfort are always, always, always meant to go together. They are... They are Two things that one happens and the other one should happen right afterwards is that we go to God. So you see, suffering is part of God's plan. And comfort is part of God's plan. Verse 5, he says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. We share abundantly in suffering. We share abundantly in comfort comfort to. Um, listen to this. This is Romans chapter 5, one of those other passages that I was talking about. Let's just read this, verses 2 to 5. He says this. And this is how Paul describes this. And listen to where he places the suffering. He says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, 
but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This passage, Paul puts suffering right in the middle Right smack in the middle of the hope of the glory of God and God's love being poured into us through the Holy Spirit. That's where suffering fits in between those two pieces. So God's plan from the start was to make suffering drive us to him so that we experience his comfort, so that we know God, so that we know the power of the one who raises us from the dead, so that God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. There's one last thing that I want to touch on, and I can't take a lot of time on it. And this one single just uh, verse from this passage could be an entire sermon in itself. But he says this. Paul says, you also must help us by prayer. You also must help us by prayer. We cannot overcome without the prayers of each other. We cannot endure patiently without the prayers of each other. We cannot withstand the attacks of the enemy without the prayers of each other. What do you think Paul is asking for when Paul says, you must pray for us? I think he's asking for a lot of things, right? I think he's asking that God would comfort him. I think he's asking that they will share, as they share in Christ, or that they will share in Christ's suffering, that they'll share in God's comfort as well. I think he's asking them to pray that they will patiently endure. It is difficult to patiently endure. And he's saying, pray for me that I can do it. I think he's praying that his hope is not unshaken. That his faith becomes stronger because of this. That his relationship with the others in suffering is stronger. But I think there's even more to that. I think he's praying against the attacks of the enemy. Because we know that Satan wanders around like a lion, seeking to destroy anybody that he can. And when we go through suffering, we become an easy target for the enemy. We are naturally weak. Our defenses are naturally down. We are suffering. We don't have it all there. And we are an easy prey, right? Like a lion, he says, the enemy seeks to, you know, devour and destroy, right? What does the lion do? Whatever's the weakest. Whatever's away from the herd, right? We're alone. We're weak. We're suffering. And the enemy attacks. And so Paul is saying, you need to pray for this. First John 3, it says, the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The last line of the Lord's Prayer is, deliver them from evil. I read someone once who was commenting on the Lord's Prayer. This was one of those guys, Jacob probably knows who it is. He's been dead at least 300 years, I'm sure. So, but he says this. He says, I don't consider a prayer complete unless I have prayed against the enemy in his work. He goes through the Lord's Prayer and that last line is deliver us from evil. And so he says, I don't consider my prayer complete unless I've prayed that line, deliver them from evil, deliver them from evil. So I think as Paul goes through the suffering, he's like, you must pray for us. I think that's one of the lines that he's thinking of, is just praying for each other and that spiritual attack, right? So as you pray for each other, pray that, that they can endure patiently. Pay, pray that their faith would become strong. Pray that God's comfort, that God himself 
will comfort them. Pray, pray against spiritual attack when they're going through there. I don't want you to be uninformed about suffering so that you have no, so that you suffer like those who have no hope. Because we have a great, great, great hope. And I want you to know this, suffering and the comfort of God go together. They are meant to walk hand in hand. We are never, ever, ever meant to suffer without the comfort of God. And we are never, ever meant to suffer without the comfort of each other. We are to comfort each other with the comfort with which God gave us when we suffered. These things should always go together. Let me just close in prayer. Father God, we come before you and we pray to the God of mercy, the Father of all comfort. Lord, you comfort us in all of our suffering, in all of our affliction, with your comfort. We share in Christ's suffering, we share in God's comfort. Lord, help us to comfort those around us who suffer. Give us eyes to see those who suffer around us. Lord, let us not ignore it, but let us look for those who suffer. Lord, give us the strength when we are suffering to reach out. Let us not be ashamed. Let us be like the Apostle Paul who says, I don't want you to be unaware of what we're going through. We were so overwhelmed we despaired of life itself. But that was to make us rely on God, not ourselves. So Lord, I just pray that you'll help us to rely on you, not on ourselves, not on others. I pray that you'll help us to seek comfort from you and not from other places. And Lord, let us be a body. Let us be a church, Lord, who comforts each other. In your precious and your holy name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.